Right, good morning, everybody. Don't mind me as I pull double duty today. Uh, I actually enjoy it. Uh, it just kind of throws me off sometimes, but um, all right. Everybody doing well? All right, all right. How about that little bit warmer weather? Yeah, I know. I'm like, because um, I don't know if I'm, that means the hotter weather's on its way. I'm not sure if I'm quite ready for that, but uh, I did want to say before I got started, uh, thank you guys for your generosity, and um, you guys have done so much, even already in the beginning of the year, you guys have sent several of our students to Florida for their campus conference, uh, and that's life-changing, stuff like that is life-changing, and so we do have an opportunity uh, to participate in something that is starting up in, in Panama, or say, Panama, and, uh, and so we're excited to go be a part of that. Um, it's a good, I think it's going to be a lot bigger than what we expect, and we are just privileged to be a part of that. So speaking of privilege, I want to jump right into our message today, uh, because we are in a sermon series called Miracles, and I don't know if you've uh, been enjoying the series or not, or if you've been challenged or not. I don't know exactly where you are, but I just hope that God's word has been um, an encouragement to you, and that it is challenging you in a good way. And again, if you have heard of, by way of a testimony, somebody who has been touched by God or something supernatural happening or something that's just not normal, that can't be explained unless it was God, please let us know. We want to hear those stories. Uh, we want to be able to honor God and glorify him with you through those. But we're on this series called Miracles, and today is one of my favorite Miracles because Jesus shows up like a boss. And so, uh, you know, I was, I was really excited to get into this one. But before I do that, please allow me to relive a very important moment in my life. I'm going to show you a series of pictures. I had the privilege of being in Israel uh, exactly one year ago, just about one year ago. What you're looking at is the Sea of Galilee. And so we arrived in Israel. The first night we got there late, uh, we grabbed dinner, had a quick devotional moment, and then went straight to bed. The second day, we went out to the Sea of Galilee where I had the opportunity to deliver a sermon of all things about discipleship. Oh, oh did you notice uh, So when I said I wanted to relive, I really, really meant it. Let me just say, this hoodie has been to the Holy Land. These, these, these kicks that my sons got me two Christmases ago have walked the trails that Jesus walked. Even literally, guys, this is why I was so privileged even the path he took to the cross. And so we were able to walk and relive that. And so uh, anyway, I'm glad you got a kick out of that because that was planned. And so um, that's me at the Sea of Galilee with a, with a group of pastors. And uh, I got to deliver a sermon about, of all things, discipleship. And so when um, the organizer said, hey, Pastor Roland, could you, you know, um, share a message on Matthew chapter 4? where Jesus called his first disciples, I said, man, God, this is such a setup. A great setup because this is what we do as a church. 
We are passionate about making disciples, you know, and so it was, you know, follow, fish, fellowship with other people, right? And so that's what I, that's what I delivered. And so you can see behind me, the Sea of Galilee, it's, it's calm, it's like glass. You can see the mountains behind. Uh, let's see, what else did I give you, Zion? This is the group of pastors. We actually got to sail on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, just an amazing time. Uh, we worshiped on this boat. Um, and it, the joke was, hey, are you going to try to walk on water? Right? And, of course, nobody tried. Uh, go to the next one. And then, of course, so some of those were taken from my phone, and then this was the professional. <laughs> um, he had a drone and did all this, and so this is us on the Sea of Galilee. And so you can't really tell what we began to happen when we first launched. Do we got one more picture, Zion? There. It's, it's a little bit more calmer. You can see the hills. And so this is what's surrounding. I'm going to get into this a little bit more. We're on the Sea of Galilee. When we first started in the morning, it was like glass, super smooth water. By the time we got to the boat and headed out to the middle of the Sea of Galilee, which really isn't a sea, it's a big lake. Um, I think at its widest point, it's eight miles, so it is a pretty big lake. Um, we stayed out there for a couple of hours. As we were on our way back in, some winds picked up. And so you can't really tell from here, but uh, the, and the waves began to get choppy. And this was not even a storm. It was just winds picking up. And so, you know, I don't have to go too much into the, ge into the geography, but the Sea of Galilee is six to 700 feet below sea level. And then you have the hills and the mountains, and when the breeze comes off of the Mediterranean Sea, you got cold air meeting with a hot area. And I don't know if you know how tornadoes are formed, but it's cold air and hot air, and it, it can turn into a pretty fierce uh, cyclone. And so by the time we were returning, the wind was, was beginning to pick up and we felt the boat begin to rock. Uh, and you know, when the boat begins to rock, everyone starts to make this face. Right? But we made it back safely. And so I wanted to show you these pictures because this is the setting that we're going to get into today as we read in John chapter 6. Two Miracles happened that day. Pastor Matt shared last week about the feeding of the 5,000, which really wasn't 5,000. It was more, you know, two to three times that because it, uh, the way they counted back then, they didn't include women and children. It said 5,000 men. Those men probably had families. Uh, and of course, there was women and children. If there wasn't children, there wouldn't have been lunch for all of those people. And that was the miracle. Jesus took the, you know, a couple of fish sticks, you know, and some crackers and and multiplied it, and it says everybody had enough. And there was so much that there were 12 basketfuls left over. And so we go from that miracle to the one that we're going to get into today. And so imagine what's going on in the disciples' minds. Imagine the, the atmosphere, at least from the disciples' perspective, they had just come from this great miracle. Everybody's fed. And now Jesus' his popularity and his, you know, he goes up on the, on, the, on the poles. Let's say that. He gets popular. Everyone loves him so much that they now want to kidnap him and force him to be their king because they saw the power. And now they're saying, this is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. 
when you take that kind of power and that kind of influence and you mix it with that messianic expectation that the Jewish people have had for, for centuries and for generations, it turns into a pretty cool political opportunity. And Jesus sensed it and he put it to bed very quick. And the Bible says that he snuck away. We're going to get into that. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But it's a few hours after this, this next miracle happens. And so we pick up the story in John chapter 6, verse 15. I forgot that I'm going to go one verse back just to kind of set it up. And it says this, if you're following in your own Bible or in your device, if not, you can just read along with me. John 6, 15 says, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. And that's, that's where we were. The Sea of Galilee on the other side is, is Capernaum. It was now dark, say dark. And Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Bow your heads with me. Jesus, we thank you for your, um, for your inspiring word. And Lord, I pray that as we look below the surface of this passage, there's so many things we can miss, so many miracles we can miss, so many things to talk about. But Father, I pray that today you would communicate, Holy Spirit, exactly what you want to say through your word. Father, I just ask that you would use me, uh, Lord, as your vessel, Lord, to speak on your behalf. But Lord, I pray you do what only you can do in our hearts as we receive from your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So again, 600 to 700 feet below sea level. This whole area, the Jordan River, the whole valley, there are two tectonic plates uh, that, that hit. It's a major, major rift. So you got seven, six to 700 feet below sea level, and then you got another uh, 2,000 feet of mountains that go up, and you have 3,000 feet, about that much difference. And again, the temperature of the wind with the temperature of the base, it just, in a moment, the weather can change. When we were on this boat, I asked the captain, have you ever experienced that? And he said, oh yes, many times. In an instant. What we experienced when the wind was blowing and rocking the boat, it was bright sun. But we're talking about a storm where clouds start to roll in and the wind is, I'm sure, a lot stronger than what we experienced. And so they suddenly experienced this great storm and without warning. And you know, this is a great picture of life, isn't it? How many of you have ever said, man, things were going great until? And something you, you didn't expect just, just happened out of nowhere. A bill that you didn't know you had to pay pops up. A car repair, you know, someone is sick. Maybe a loved one passes in the family. You know what I'm talking about. And storms come about before you even realize it without you 
expecting it. And so the, the disciples are on this emotional roller coaster. They're thinking that this guy that they've dropped everything for to follow is now going to become king. They're high-fiving. They're celebrating. And Jesus picks up there. There's something unhealthy going on. Not just that the people were trying to make him king, that they're going to try to force him, but that also there was an unhealthy attitude among the disciples, almost as if they were gloating. And the Bible says that gloating isn't good. And so they know, Jesus knows they're going to try to apprehend him. And so the Bible says that he slips away by himself into the mountains. Now, when you, when you read stories, it's good to cross-reference if somebody else was there. And that's what the Gospels are. It's the disciples who were there with Jesus writing about their experience. And so this story shows up in three of the Gospels. It shows up in Matthew, it shows up in Mark, and then, of course, in John. I don't know why it didn't show up uh, in Luke. And so we're going to cross-reference a little bit because every time you hear somebody else's experience, there's a little bit more detail. So the way it works with me and my wife, she'll start to tell a story, and my wife's not a very good storyteller. And so she'll say things, and I'll go, no, no, stop, stop, stop. This is what really happened, right? And I say a bunch of stuff that she forgot. And so we're going to do that. We're going to look at the different cross-references with the different disciples and what they, what they saw in this moment because there were several of them that were there. So Jesus puts all of that to rest. He goes up to the mountains and he tells the disciples, get into the boat and go across and I will meet you on the other side. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what the disciples were going to go through. And there's many things, again, that we can learn from this story, but I want to point out three things that I hope and I pray can help us because one thing we all know is that we all are going to encounter storms at some point. And here's point number one. God is sovereign over your storms. When I say God is sovereign, that means he controls them. He controls them. So this event is recorded also in Matthew and Mark. Matthew says it this way. Um, he says in uh, Matthew 14, 22, immediately, say immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And so Jesus knows there's going to be a storm. And according to Matthew, Jesus had something to do with it. And you're going to begin to pick this up. So let me ask you, for the disciples to go through the storm, whose idea was it? It was Jesus. He knew the storm was on its way, and he told the disciples, get in the boat. Mark's account actually says it a little bit more urgently. It says he constrained them. It's like he made them. They didn't have a choice. Jesus told them, get into the boat, and they did. So it's one thing to be in a storm because of a bad decision, right? We make bad decisions, and we find ourselves in situations that we don't like. Or, you know, we uh, make, a, make a mistake, right? It's, it's common to find ourselves in those kind of storms, but how many of you knew that you could find yourself in a storm by being obedient? 
by being obedient. You can do what God tells you to do, and you can be right smack in the middle of his will and find yourself in a storm. See, we have this idea that, oh, if I do everything God tells me to do, I should be okay. He's going to, you know, take away all the hard stuff. But he's sovereign, and he'll do what he feels like he needs to do for a reason. It was a total setup. Jesus told them, get into the boat. And he says, row out into the water. And they did. They listened. (laughs) Jesus sent them into the storm. You know, it reminds me of my sister. When she was 16 years old, before any of us knew the Lord, she was the first one. Somebody shared their faith with her. She got saved. She came home. Um, led me to the Lord. It was my first born-again experience. I was a little kid, but nobody taught me how to follow God, so I fell away very easy. But I remember having that moment because my sister was very mean. I mean, very mean, like really mean. She would set me up, like my friends would knock on the door, and she'd open the, I'd open the door, and she'd be behind me. And my friends would look at me, they already know the answer. They're like, okay, your sister's behind you. You don't even know, but can you come outside? My sister would go, no, and slam the door. And so that was my sister. So when she got saved, I saw an instant change in her. She came home one day. I came home. She was waiting for me to come home from school, and she had bought me a pair of shoes. How many know I was like, who are you? What do you want? That's how instant the change was, and I noticed it, and I was attracted to that. And she began to tell me about Jesus. And she said, you know, unless you're born again. And she didn't really know how to share her faith. She was just repeating what the other person told her. And she said, do you want to get saved? And I said, yeah, I think so. I don't know what all this means, but man, if it's changed you like that, I think I need some of that. And I was 12 years old, 11 going on 12 years old. And that was my first born again experience. You know what happened after that? She began to share with the rest of my family. And my mom and dad kicked her out. 16 years old, kicked her out the house. She had to stay with a friend for uh, another three or four months. And after that, another family from the church she went to, some of you guys met them. They sat up here on the front row. That started our whole spiritual lineage. And so my sister's doing what she feels like God wants her to do, and she finds herself in this relational storm. How many of you are different kinds of storms? Relational, financial, uh, medical. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And when you're in the middle of a storm, it feels very, very real. You can't deny what you're feeling. And so why would Jesus do something like this? Why would he purposely send you into a storm? Why would he tell the disciples to go and and then take so long before the answer shows up? If you know the story, I don't want to spoil anything. We'll get there. But Jesus wanted to teach them something. Jesus knew that in a short time, he wouldn't be there physically with them. And so I don't know about you, but sometimes you feel like Jesus, he's just not close to you. Have you ever felt like that? Like you're praying and you're reading your Bible and you're going, Jesus, (laughs) I don't feel you. I remember when I was a little kid being in the dark. And knowing my, my, my brothers and sisters were there, my mom and dad, and it's dark, and, I, and I, I couldn't see them. And I can remember my sister saying, what are you doing? And I said, I'm just trying to find out where everybody's at. And she said, I'm right here. And I said, I can't see your eyes. But I knew she was there. 
And it's kind of the same thing with Jesus. And sometimes when Jesus isn't near you, he's still in the house. He's just in another room. And sometimes you got to go find him. So the disciples, they're tired and they're frustrated. And it says that the wind was against them. Mark's account was say, uh, says that they were straining at the oars for three to four hours. Now, I don't know what kind of muscles you got, but I'd have gave up at three or four minutes if the wind was against me. And these are experienced fishermen. They're not strangers to, to a, a storm on the ocean. And they're rowing and they're doing everything that they know to do. And they're frustrated and they're tired. They're probably mad at each other. They're probably throwing food at each other. You know, because nothing's working. They say the boats back then had sails, but it says the wind was against them. I don't know if you've ever been trying to follow God and you felt like everything was against you. This is what's going on here. And so where was Jesus when all this was happening? Where was he? We think he wasn't in the picture, but he was. They were in a problematic place while Jesus was in a place of prayer. And it says that he went up to the mountain to be alone. Matthew and Mark explicitly say in their version, he went up to the mountain to pray. And how many know the mountain is a high place? And from a high place, you could see everything. And in one of their accounts, they say, they, they write that Jesus saw that they were struggling. So even though you don't see Jesus, he always sees you. Romans 8.34 says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. When we think we're struggling by ourselves, remember, Jesus is at the right hand of God praying for you. And while we're in a place of, of peril, in a place of problems, in a place of predicament, he's in a place of prayer, specifically for us, here's point number two. God is not only sovereign over our storms, God is also sovereign over your salvation, meaning he will come and save, meaning he will come and he will deliver you. <coughs> not only were they tired and frustrated, they saw something that made them afraid. How many like ghost stories? Don't lie, you guys go watch the movies. You like ghost stories, something fascinating about ghost stories, right? It's funny because um, me and my family, we, we've experienced like knocking on the door and my dog's going crazy. And we go to the door and there's nobody and we're going, did you hear that? We're like, yup. And we go to the cameras and there's nothing, you know? And so somehow we're fascinated with supernatural things, right? Well, back then it was no different. They were very superstitious if you were on a boat and saw some dude walking towards you, what would you think? Right? And the Bible says it was already dark. One of the accounts says it was the fourth watch of the night. You know what that means? That was between 3 and 6 a.m. Dark. And Jesus shows up, and the Bible says they didn't even recognize him. And they were terrified. Now they're screaming. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me... Uh, here's something else, just something that you can note. And that's back then, 
uh, oceans and water, anything like that, large bodies of water, were a thing of mystery. They didn't have snorkels. They didn't have National Geographic or Discovery Channel, right? We, how many of you uh, don't watch Discovery Channel, but sometimes you're flipping and then you see something about animals and then you just stop? And then an hour later, you're like, oh, I finished it. Wow, right? You're real interested. Well, they didn't have that. And so any body of water was, was mysterious. They were, they were scared of it. They didn't know what was underneath that. And so back in, in, in their day, the pagans actually thought that the waters were associated with God. Now, here's the crazy thing. This is symbolism of Jesus saying the very thing that is trying to kill you, the very thing that is trying to sink you, these fake and false gods that are trying to run your life, and Jesus is walking all over them, under his feet. And God has given Jesus the victory, and he's trying to give you the victory as well. There's so much in this story that if you don't look, you'll miss it. John 6, 19 through 20 says, When they had rode about three, rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Now, back then, it's no different than now. They didn't know what this thing was or who it was. But there's something significant in the words that Jesus delivered. Two Fridays ago, we, re we rehearsed on Friday nights, the music team. And so before we began our rehearsal, DJ, uh, one of our worship leaders, uh, shared something that was shared in their devotional time at his, at his uh, workplace. And it's this, the real translation, when Jesus says, it is I, do not be afraid, really what he was saying was, I am is here. He's saying, I am is here. Now, where have we heard that before? I am. It comes from the Old Testament. If you remember the story of Moses and how he was hiding in the wilderness and he's walking across, and he, this bush is on fire, so he goes to check it out, and it starts to talk to him, right? Again, that mystical stuff. It begins to talk to him, and he's talking back, and he says, the whole, you know the story, go uh, to Pharaoh, tell him, let my people go. But Moses was like, okay, we just met. We don't really know each other, so I'm going to go to the king like you want me to. Who should I tell him sent me? And you know what God said through the burning bush? I am. You tell them I am sent you. That was God. And so here's Jesus. When he shows up, it's the same language. He shows up on the ocean to the disciples and he says, do not be afraid. I am. God is here. They thought Jesus was a ghost. They're terrified. And it was the word of the Lord. It was the word of God that we read and we study and that we love so much that brought deliverance to the disciples in that moment. Jesus specifically initiated the moment when he would deliver them. Again, this was all planned. Why? Because he knew that they couldn't handle it anymore. And God knows what you can handle because he has made you and he has designed you. But it doesn't mean that he won't allow you to go through some things. Last night we were in our corporate prayer meeting. 
And we pray for you guys all the time. You have no idea. And so we're praying for our church. And we're praying for our people. And you know what we prayed last night for you guys? We prayed that you guys would experience a, a divine discomfort. You're welcome. <laughs> Why would we pray such a thing? Because we know it's in those times of discomfort that you grow. It's in those times of discomfort that you stretch. It's in those, it never ever will you be in a comfortable place and get somewhere and improve. Anybody who's ambitious or successful will tell you avoid that place the moment you become comfortable. And so we prayed for you. Because God wants to do some things with this church. Amen? God's got, there's a horizon that we're headed to. And if we're going to reach it, that means all of us, we're in the same boat. The question is, who is in it with us? About 3 o'clock in the morning, Matthew 14, 25. This is in the New Living Translation version of the Bible. About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. Mark calls it the fourth watch. Again, he knows how much you can handle. And God prioritizes things in our lives. And it's not comfort. The one thing God does prioritize is our character. And so we may wonder, God, why would you do this? Why would you allow this? It's part of the answer. He's not committed to our comfort. He's committed to our character. And then I have this, uh, this question of, Jesus, why would you take so long? Isn't that kind of cruel? Why would you take so long to save them? Why the delay? Jesus, do you really care? Now, you remember, this is the second time these disciples were in a boating situation. The first time, Jesus was in the boat with them. And so when the waves began to overtake the boat, it says Jesus was sleeping at the front of the boat. And what did they do? They woke him up. Jesus, don't you care? And he woke up and he rebuked the storm. And I feel like sometimes God, we treat him this way. Like, oh, when things get bad, I'll just, I'll just wake up God. And we're learning here that sometimes he won't be in that vicinity that you think he'll be at. And the reason why is he wants to teach us something. How many know that delays aren't always bad? Have you ever been on a plane that was about to take off and then the pilot comes on and goes, uh, hello, this is your pilot speaking. Uh, we're going to go back to the gate uh, because the software has not loaded correctly and because there is no software, we cannot control the wings of the airplane. How many know it's like, get this plane back. Don't take off unless you fix it. I've been in those situations. I've been in the situation where like, there's a mechanical issue. We can't take off. And we're like, thank you, Lord, that we didn't start taking off with that mechanical problem. Delays aren't always bad. God does things in delays sometimes. And so we need to learn to value what God is doing. Because if we can get that right, it will revolutionize the way we live our life. Instead of complaining, instead of being anxious, instead of being dissatisfied, we'll start to go, okay, God. I think you're trying to teach me something here. What, what is this? 
we begin to look at it different. When the Jews, speaking of Moses, were coming out of slavery, it was 400 years before they made it out. Delay. There was a, a delay between the Old and the New Testament from the time uh, we get to the last book of Malachi in the Old Testament to the first book of Matthew in the New Testament. There was a gap of 400 years. I'm not sure exactly what that meant or the purpose of that, but there was a delay. After that, Jesus shows up. There was a delay before Lazarus died. Remember, he was sick. Jesus shows up, but Jesus showed up late. Lazarus actually dies. And then it was another four days before Jesus got there and then resurrected him. Why the delay? I don't know. But delays aren't always bad. God can do something in them. And then obviously there was a delay for the disciples in the storm. And maybe you're in a situation right now that the, the waves are raging and the winds are blowing and you're saying, God, when? I may not have that answer. Maybe it's not the fourth watch like it says here. You just, but you hang on. Because he is sovereign over our storms, he knows exactly what's happening. And because he made you and designed you, he knows exactly how much you can take. And because he's the sovereign God, he's the one who can come and save you and deliver you. And here's something else. Here's what Jesus was saying. I don't know about you, but even as I was studying this, I began to appreciate my, my, my problems a little bit more. It's really, really strange. My, my difficulties, I begin, to, I begin to see them different. Because, you know, even the mistakes we make, even the... You know, even the, as we're trying to follow God and, and things happen, sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes it's not our fault. But even in those things, God can bring beauty out of ashes. He can bring a masterpiece out of broken pieces. And it doesn't matter. So we never know what God is up to. And so now I look at these things as, man, God, what are you really up to? And it's because it's for a greater purpose. God allows us to go through storms because there's a greater purpose on the other side. And so our salvation is found only in the name of Jesus. And here's the last point. God is sovereign over your destination. If God sends you, he'll get you there. If God tells you to go, he'll get you there. If God tells you to start, he's the author and the finisher and the perfecter of our faith. He will finish what he starts in us. John 6, 21. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, are you catching this? Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, I know what you're thinking. Wow, another miracle, right? And it's not exactly that, so let me explain. <coughs> so, um, the word... Uh, the word that is translated immediately is a Greek, uh, Greek uh, idiom. 
And so, uh, you know, when somebody says, oh, you know, oh, you know, like I tell my kids, you know, you make a mistake, you're going to see the light, right? That means I'm going to take them out, right? That's, it's a, it's just, it's a phrase, okay? I'm not really going to kill them. Okay? And so that's what this is. And so it, it would be like saying, you know, when I got in the car this morning, which we had a rough start uh, to, our, to our day this morning. And so, but, you know, if that were the case, getting Jesus into the boat and all of a sudden you're, you're there, here's what it would have looked like. If I would have gotten in my car this morning and I got in the passenger side and I would have said, Jesus, come in and take the wheel, right? And then I go, oh my gosh, I'm at church already. That's not what this is saying here. So sometimes we take this as a miracle that happens. And really the real word translated is straightway. It's straightway. So it has nothing to do with time. But it has everything to do with direction and path. And so when it says that Jesus was invited into the boat, if you read and you really study it, it says that there was no more storm no more obstacle, nothing else in the way. They made it to where they were going without any more problems. When we invite Jesus into our boat and we go the direction that he tells us to go, he makes high places low and he makes low places high so that when we go and we represent him and we speak for him, and we, and we do the work that he's called us to do, as long as he's told us to go and we do it with him, he says, I promise you, you're going to get there. I promise you, you're going to get there. And the promise of God is something that we can stand on. The New King James again says that they willingly took Jesus into the boat. That means there's some decision there. How many know not all of our situations have Jesus involved? Anybody? Okay, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I know how that can be. Say, dang, Pastor. (laughs) But whatever situation you find yourself in, whether it was caused by you or whether it's out of your control, I dare you to invite Jesus into the boat. They let him in. And from there, everything changed. The storm stopped. And the Bible says that immediately, straightway, the land where they were headed was clear. And they made it. They'd been rowing for nine hours. If you were to calculate this, nine hours, and they got three miles. I don't know if you've ever tried to follow God and you felt like you haven't gotten very far. I have. And this is just the perfect representation of our lives. We struggle without him, but when we let him into our boat, he empowers our progress. He makes everything level. He also enables our purpose. It was Jesus. It was at his command that they set out for Capernaum. Jesus set the destination. The disciples didn't get to choose where they were going. How many know it's the job of followers to follow? 
And if we are disciples of Christ, that's just a simple way of saying we are followers of Christ. When I got up and, and was able to speak to, our, to my fellow pastors, I said this was a call to discipleship. Jesus saw the first disciples. He said, come and follow me. What does that mean? Follow God. He said, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Follow God, fish for people. And then we follow God together. We fellowship with the church. This is a picture of discipleship. And if we're followers, then we got to follow him. Life isn't about getting Jesus to save my skin so I can live the way I want. It's about trusting and obeying him in every area of our lives. And how many know God has a plan for every life? He doesn't leave you adrift. He won't leave you floating. You know, and a lot of times we say, this is my boat. This is my life. <laughs> this is my drift. This is my ocean. And Jesus is going, uh, what do you want? You want what you want? Then go ahead and drift. If you want what I want, then I need to be in the boat. Matter of fact, let him captain that boat. One final thing I'll mention, and this wasn't <laughs> part of my notes, so don't worry about this one, Zion, but I just wanted to make mention, and that's this. Every miracle that we talked about every Sunday for the past five weeks has one major purpose, and that's to reveal the glory of God. And if you notice, at the end of this story, this is in Matthew's account in the New King James, verse 32, 14, 32 says, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. This was a brand new moment for the disciples. As they began to see Jesus work and his ministry bear fruit and all these miracles happening and they're amazed. It was a call for them to follow but at this point it was a brand new revelation. The miracle that Jesus performed had them on their face and that's really what the goal of these miracles are. Is for God to reveal himself to people so that they can have the opportunity to worship him the way we do. We just get the byproduct of the healing. We just get the byproduct of the blessing. We get the byproduct of the miracle. That's not the major point. It's for God to be revealed. So let me recap before we pray. God is sovereign over our storms and sometimes he causes them He's sovereign over our storms and sometimes he makes us go through them. God is sovereign over our salvation, meaning if he sends you into the storm, he's God enough to save you. And finally, God is sovereign over our destination. How many know God wants us to go places and God wants us to do some things? And so I'm excited about that, what God is gonna do with you, what God is gonna do with us as a church. So, Bow your heads and let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you for your promises. And Lord, thank you. You know exactly what you're doing. So Lord, help us to trust you today. When we don't understand the process, help us to trust you. When we can't see you directly in front of us, help us to trust you. 
when you're not in our boat, help us to invite you. And Lord, I pray that it translates into a deeper revelation of who you are and that, Lord, you would draw us into the deeper waters, deeper in our relationship with you. Real quick, if you're here today and you just know that you're not, Jesus is not in your boat, let's say it that way, and you're not following him, and you're saying, yep, he's not close. I haven't been following him. But you want to get that right today. I want to pray for you and I want to pray all together so that you're not doing it by yourself. But I want to know who I'm praying for. If that's you, would you just take a quick moment and just raise your hand so we can pray. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you, brother. Anybody else? Thank you, God. Let's all say this together. We're going to stand with them in faith. Say, Jesus, thank you that you're God. Thank you for being involved in my life. Help me to respond to you. I admit I've done wrong, not you. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that after all these miracles, you were obedient to death and you died for me and you shed your blood for me. Come into my heart. Come into my life and change me so that I can follow you and be more like you. I receive you into my heart and in faith, I will follow you from this day forward. Say, thank you, Jesus. Say it again, thank you, Jesus. One more time, thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just seal the word and the decision that these have made today. And Lord, I thank you for your grace and I thank you for your forgiveness. And now, Lord, I just pray for your power to be on their lives, Father, as they go and they, they follow, not just follow you, but Lord, they do what you have called them to do. And it's amazing things, oh God, we have no idea no eye has seen, no ear has heard. Our minds can't comprehend what God has in store for us who love him. And Lord, I just speak destiny and purpose on these lives of those who've made that decision today. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Can we celebrate God before we get out of here? Amen.